0: How I got here. The inside stories of startups and innovation and in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack.
1: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are, thank you, and uh, welcome to another episode of How I Got Here. This is uh, Mosey and FocusWire's Wire's uh, weekly podcast looking at innovation and the stories around startups in travel and transportation. We're delighted this uh, this week to welcome Travis Pittman, he's the uh, CEO and co-founder at Tour Radar. Tour Radar, for those that don't know, is a both a consumer-facing and a supplier-facing on the tech side business in the multi-day tours and activities sector, for those of you that have had your head buried in the sand (laughs) probably for the last couple of years will know that, and the likes of us have talked this up a lot, but tours and activities is, in inverted commas, the hot sector. So, um, you know, it's timely, therefore, that we get Travis in. based in Vienna, Austria, but it also has offices in Toronto and Canada and Britain in Australia. Uh, Travis is, as you may well realise, as soon as he starts talking, is a native Australian. So, uh, Travis, uh, welcome to how I got here.
2: Thanks a lot. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, guys.
1: Okay, so we always start off the uh, the podcast with the question, tell us uh, briefly how you got here, Travis.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So, you, you already uh, stole my thunder. I, I'm an Aussie. Uh, about 14, 15 years ago, uh, my brother and co-founder of Tour Radar, Sean, uh, was living in London, uh, and he said, hey, it's great. Come over here. It's good money. Uh, you can travel lots. Uh, and so, uh, took the chance, uh, went over to London on a four-year working holiday visa, uh, and I'm now 15 years into that. Um, so, it's been uh, a bit longer than expected. Uh, but yeah, I no, moved to London, and Yeah, I was always fascinated by the internet, Uh, so I was really involved and learned to code and and do HTML and everything like that, Um, but as an Aussie living in London, uh, the travel aspect was obviously a huge thing, Uh, so everyone was taking weekends and getting away and taking longer trips to Europe and Africa and Asia and as part of that uh, we actually created a uh, was kind of our first entrepreneurial effort uh, Sean and I uh, we created a website called Bug Bitten so to be bitten by the travel bug um, and it was a photo sharing site <laughs> uh, so it was uh, a place uh, kind of like Facebook uh, but you know before Facebook existed and uh, we were the default platform for all the Aussies, Kiwis, South Africans living in London uh, to share their photos and their travel blogs uh, online with friends and family so uh, it was kind of our first friend- into it no one understood what the hell social media was back then or user generated content um, so we were kind of pioneering something that no one knew anything about um, and eventually cut uh, a kind of long story short Sean being the the finance guy that he is so he was working in venture capital uh, he was like well we need a business model we can't just build something and have you know tons of users and lots of people using it we need to actually make some money uh, so we actually then uh, realised that maybe this multi-day tour space that uh, we were, you know, we were doing tours ourselves and booking it through offline travel agents, uh, and a lot of our friends were as well. Maybe that was something to actually digitise and bring online. Um, so it was around the time 2005, 2006 when Booking, Expedia, Skyscanner uh, were all digitising various parts of the travel industry, uh, and so we, you know, very naively gave it a crack. And thought that uh, we could do it uh, pretty quickly and obviously uh, that's about you know 14 years later Um, we are where we are today Uh, but yeah it's been a a, a pretty long journey Uh, lots of ups and downs Uh, but yeah now uh, after raising uh, around 65 million dollars in around six or seven different rounds uh, we have a team of 275 people globally, as you mentioned, uh, in Brisbane, Toronto, and Vienna, as the headquarters, uh, and soon to to be opening up an office in New York as well. So, so, yeah, it's been a hell of a ride, and happy to share some of my uh, experiences today.
1: Uh, that's that's great thanks for the, uh, the, the the brevity there travis i mean there's so many elements that we we, we can dive into <laughs> with with the story behind uh, i guess yourself and your brother and and to radar i mean something i i remember bug bitten as do you okay <laughs> yes, I remember that. so um from my very very early days when i uh, joined travolution in 2005 it was one that was um, kind of banded around a little bit as one of these kind of user generated content led sites. I mean, was it a necessity that you kind of um, needed to transition from that, which I presume probably didn't make a lot of money to something where you could envisage there would be a lot more money on the table?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I think, uh, yes, it took a lot of time, but uh, there was so many uh, lessons learned and basically pivots and, and different things we had to try. Like uh, in terms of business models, uh, we started out, uh, I, I believe it was like a subscription model where you paid uh, 10 euros a year or 10 pounds a year or something like that. And then that didn't really work. And then we had this membership program. So we had all these different types of models. Um, and uh each, each learning from one of those basically took us a step further. Uh, and then. It pretty much got to the point where it was like, well, uh, who's going to pay for something like this? And it pretty much got to a point where we said, well, the tour operators are the ones who want business. Uh, they actually want to have uh, more bookings and more, you know, travelers actually on their uh, tours with them. Uh, and so, and the whole model of, uh, yeah, paying commission uh, for leads or actually getting bookings was obviously something that uh, we thought, well, it's more chance of getting money out of uh, them uh, than actually out of a um, a travel traveler paying some sort of service or fee where everything kind of is expected to be free uh, in terms of the internet so so that was kind of uh, led us down the path of eventually going to the transactional model and and going to bookings
1: and just I mean just on the last one from me for a while I mean I'm interested in when people you know write or design a business model I mean did you sketch out to a radar's business model in in a lot of detail or was it in some Often, they they could be written on the back of a cigarette packet. But I'm I'm sure you didn't get <laughs> you weren't like that. But I mean, how detailed was your business model? Was it just as you said, just then, Travis? You know, we needed to make money from that element and kind of move from something else.
2: Yeah, it, uh, at, at first, it was basically just scrambled to, to get something con- consumers adopted, and, and the, <laughs> the, the photo side really worked well. I mean, we had, in 2004, 20,000 photos a day being uploaded uh, to something, you know, back then oh, wow. digital digital cameras weren't even really being used back then Uh, you still had to put a cd-rom in and actually get the digital photos off the film uh, camera Um, and so we were you know (laughs) super successful in that regard uh, but it was obviously no one knew anything about uh, online and payments and all that kind of stuff so uh, it was really just trial by learning really and we pretty much just uh, you know step by step and tried something it didn't work and then tried something else but as the story got a bit more concrete to where we were going. So once we got to the, uh, you know, the stage where we said, okay, let's go to, we need to go to transactional and bookings for sure. That's when we started to map out and actually, you know, what's our vision and what do we want to actually achieve with this? And, and who are we actually providing value to? Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't say it was a full fledged, like 40, 50 page document or anything like that. Um, but for sure, as you started to, to flesh out the initial pitch decks to go to investors with, that's where you started to actually, uh, you know, uh, get some Excel spreadsheets and start to model things out and work out where you might be able to make some money, uh, and uh, and then
0: put those into the pitch deck that you're going to be sending out. Hey, Kevin, David here. So I feel like the tour operator sector is uh, very traditional. I um, you know I've I've been in the industry for eight years and I still feel like I discover random regional or even massive uh, tour operators that I haven't heard of. Uh, you know, every week. Um, and uh, I think that's uh, a, you know, a test of the fact that many times they operate behind the scenes, they operate without technology or very limited technology. So I'd love if you delved a little bit more into how you brought these guys online and how big of a hurdle was that?
2: Yeah, and I think, as I say, with uh, most successes or entrepreneurial successes, it's about timing. And uh, I I feel that we, as the multi-day tour space, we are probably around 10 years behind the hotel industry, uh, if not more. Uh, And that was really a challenge in the early days, like in 2005, 2006, uh, there was just no way to get uh, availability or pricing or inventory from the tour operators. So, uh, you know, it was, I think, 2007, I started to talk to them about XML feeds uh, and actually saying, hey. You've got, uh, I don't know if you guys know the history of XML, but uh, with these big operators, they created the XML feeds uh, to be able to send their, uh, create brochures and print brochures on the other side of the world. Uh, so they'd actually send a file which would go to the printer, uh, which was XML, and then they'd basically reproduce that into the um, into the printed brochures. Um, and so we basically were just taking those XML feeds uh, and then trying to consume that and do something with it. Um, and so on top of that, we then started to educate them about APIs and and it was around that time, uh, a bit further on, uh, was when like the first reservation platforms like tour CMS started to pop up uh, and actually started to to provide this service for the operators to use and not have to build it themselves or anything like that. Uh, so, yeah, super challenging and, and very much trying to educate uh, people who are very passionate about what they do and very good at what they do, like in terms of operating tours. But they just have, uh, you know, rightfully so, no idea about the technology and what you need to be able to distribute online. Uh, so, it was a lot of education around that. And and so, that's where we found ourselves very often and even still today. Uh, the big companies like Intrepid and G-Adventures and Contiki we're pretty much the, uh, the guinea pig for all of them whenever uh, they wanted to do an API or whenever they've got upgrades to the API, they always uh, generally come to us and say, look, you know, we're doing this. And uh, sometimes we've had their tech teams actually fly into our office and actually sit down and, and work with our teams to get things up. Um, so, so yeah, there's been a lot of education process uh, over time.
1: It's, it's, it's interesting though, Travis, I mean, this is 2019. <laughs> This podcast will be, will be <laughs> yes, yeah. But I mean, the, the, the point I'm making is that do you sense that you know your industry and where you operate within it, it probably should have kind of moved on a little bit by 2019, or is it because and I'm quoting every other person that's in the business activities industry that it is still a bit of a wild west in terms of uh, the, the way everything kind of operates? Were you expect? In other words, were you expecting still to be at this stage where there's educating, in your words, still to be done?
2: Uh, yes and no. So uh, on one hand, I understand it uh, purely for the fact that around ninety percent of of multi-day tours are still booked offline, uh, so through uh, offline travel agents. Uh, so there's not a, uh, there's a lot of business being generated from offline agents still. So you know it hasn't been that there's just been a massive decline, and so they've had to jump across uh, to actually start to use online or other distribution channels. So I can understand that side, but also at the same time, it, it is a a little bit frustrating at times when uh, you're basically starting from scratch and just educating um, operators on, okay, this is uh, how online distribution works. But everyone has to learn from from somewhere. Um, and, and I think uh, it's only through that uh, webinars maybe like this and, and obviously travel shows and conferences where they can learn. Um, do they actually learn from their peers as well? Like, oh, you're using this, are you? Okay, maybe I should be doing that as well, uh, which is where we get a lot of our leads from from operators wanting to join the platform because... Because uh they hear that their you know, competitors or friends are using uh us or, or you know similar platforms, and then that's how they you know learn and actually want to get educated on it.
0: Good. So you said something interesting there about how you said 90% of uh tours are actually booked through uh offline often agents. It reminds me of a, a, a stat I heard about uh, cruises, how it's something like 60, 65% of cruises are also booked. Uh, manually offline by travel agents. And I've seen a ton of attempts at trying to bring cruise booking online. And obviously you can book a cruise online, but there's something to be said for, you know, uh, something like that high touch, uh, people want to speak to someone. And I think there's been, you know, we all come from, from the travel tech world. The, the uh, death of the uh, travel agent has been highly exaggerated. Um, and I, I guess it would be wonderful to hear about a little bit how you think about what, um, how to operate and build tech in an industry that is inherently uh, doesn't need, either doesn't need tech as much or at least needs much more high touch service uh, in addition to tech? And how do you become complementary instead of trying to uh, just replace?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's been uh, I would say one of the keys to our success in the early days uh, was that we didn't uh, necessarily go to the tour operators and say, "Hey, uh, we have this platform. Uh, you need to provide us with uh, XML or an API in this particular format, uh, so that we can you know connect to it, and, and it's minimal work for us." And we pretty much were just like, "Well, give us what you've got, uh, and and we'll try and uh, map it uh, as well as we can to our our system." Uh, and then over time we kind of educate them well if you can add these fields or if you can add this functionality that would help Uh, so it's about being uh, flexible and adaptable Uh, and I think some of the maybe the bigger incumbents in the early days probably just didn't have that flexibility or weren't willing to make those sacrifices. If I can can quickly
0: interrupt I, I, I guess kind of what I was getting at is like were you building more for those? Did you build any tools for those travel agents who were doing 90% of the selling? Did you target part of your site to them or was it completely targeted a consumer or?
2: Uh, Good, good question. Yeah. So no, we, we didn't uh, try and go for the travel agent side. Uh, We uh, mostly, so we've pretty much for the last four or five years been focused on B2C. So direct to consumer. Um, I, in saying that, I do see one day there there is a need for a, uh, like a GDS or a global distribution system for the multi day product, um, and with the you know live inventory that we have and access to all the APIs, uh, there is a, an opportunity there. It's just uh, it's obviously a pretty big challenge to to roll that out uh, something like that that uh, is flexible enough for uh, you know innovative tra- offline travel agents and and for some of the you know older school ones to still work with as well.
1: I th- something on that. I mean, I know we're really getting into the weeds of this, but I mean, it's it's really interesting, and you know, I think so much of it is relevant to other sectors that happened, as you said, you know, ten years ago. When you say you know a, a GDS for the tourism activities industry, that would essentially be reliant on things such as standards, and there are no standards that I'm aware of of a substantial nature that are industry wide in tours and activities at the moment. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. Yeah. Right. So
1: if they, if, if the GDS for the tours and activities vision is to come to pass, how would that be done? Who would be in charge of it? And is it something that is achievable? Do you think?
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think there would need to be some, if, you, if you're if you talking about a, a, a GDS for the entire tours and activity space, because I think the, uh, the the phrase of tours and activities is obviously a very, very generalized one as well, because we we get thrown inside that. But uh, obviously we're very different to the, the likes of the attractions and, and in destination activities. So um, to cater to everything, yeah, I, I probably would agree there needs to be some kind of standards uh, there, but I, I do feel as well, I think if there's going to be someone, it'll more than likely just be someone who makes a run at it and uh, does it the best that they can. Uh, and then if it works and, and there is traction, then other people will have to adapt to that um, is, is my feeling. But, uh, you know, maybe there is some sort of harmony, uh, harmony sort of situation that gets uh, <laughs> done where everyone comes together uh, and agrees on standards. But uh, I know it's been tried a couple of times. Open travel uh, was one of them. Yes. Um, and uh, it, it didn't really fly because everyone was just trying to work stuff out and those early days as well.
1: Okay, you know that, that's that's interesting. I mean, I was going to ask you because you you referenced him at the beginning. Um, just a little bit about the company before we can come back to bits about the industry that you operate in. But um, your brother's the CFO. Yes. A so, um, first question, just out of curiosity, is he older than you? And <laughs> I mean, how does it work as a like, dynamic? As your you know, you are brothers, but yep. you're business partners but you're also his boss. So, I mean, you're the first person that we've had on how I got here that's had this kind of familial relationship as a co-founder and even within the business. So just give us an idea of how that all kind of works.
2: Yeah, sure. So, no, he's older. uh, So, he's six years older. And uh, yeah, for sure. uh, At times, it it does feel a little bit strange. Okay. Yes, I am his boss, uh, technically. uh, But because we've been working together literally for around 15 years now, uh, we know each other extremely well. and, And we know uh, uh, which buttons to push and not what, uh, which ones not to push, and, and yeah, we've we've certainly had our moments over the years where, yeah, we haven't spoken to each other for you know a couple of days or maybe a week or so because uh, yeah, we we really don't agree <laughs> on some things, um, but yeah, I think we've seen so many. Uh, different ups and downs that we know that whatever it is we'll work it out somehow uh, and also being related uh, with blood it's sort of something that you never want to jeopardize ever um and uh it's basically yeah it's uh the time i still remember when i actually we were uh, i was going out pitching actually uh to i think one of the first investors that we were trying to get on in like 2012 uh, and it was like well it just seemed weird because we didn't really have official titles and I was like, well, you know, I'm the one sort of going out pitching. Do you, do you mind if I'm the CEO and kind of the phase? He's like, yeah, that's okay. No worries. So that was basically the conversation. There was no kind of big, uh, discussion or or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it, it was quite easy in those days and, uh, it's kind of kept that way. Um, but yeah, no, we, uh, we see each other about two, three times a year. Um, so we, kind of I go back and forth, um, He's in Brisbane, uh, I'm here. Uh, we do our leadership team off-sites twice a year and I, I go to Australia uh, once or twice as well. Uh, so we do see each other, but we speak, you know, pretty commonly,
1: you know, a couple of times a week, uh, still today. Just a, a last one from me on this, cause, just because I'm yeah. curious and maybe sure. because I don't have uh, a brother that I'm in business with, but I mean, how do you resolve disagreements?
2: Um, Like I said, some time sometimes to to let the the steam uh, get off uh, and then actually think it over and and try and actually see uh, each side of it. Um, And then uh, the best way I do find is is to actually have like a video call uh, because I think when it's on a phone call or when you're just chatting like over say Slack or Skype or something like that, you can interpret words uh, wrongly uh, and maybe... (laughs) they're, they're written in haste and, and not really in the way that they should be. So yeah. So I find like a video call is the best way actually to resolve things.
1: Yeah. I've, I've seen the way my daughter with social media resolves arguments and in text form. It
2: doesn't work at all. No (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to rewind a little bit. Um, and uh, at the risk of sounding obsessed with one thing, you said <laughs> around <laughs> the uh, 90% of our tours are uh, <laughs> no you know, offline. I kind of want to delve into you know why you you said you're you guys have been a consumer site mainly for the last four to five years. Uh, I wanted to understand why, because I think what's really interesting for a lot of our listeners is uh, why did our you know the founders make decisions decisions they made on the the pathways to their success. Um, obviously, you chose to focus on 10% of the market, and that's not a super intuitive, uh, you know, decision, but obviously it's working for you. So I'd love if you delve a little more to that.
2: Yeah, so in the early days of, of like transitioning from bug bitten to then creating to a radar, uh, we, ha- we we saw quite a lot of success uh, out of uh, the um, like meta search type model. So uh, we were actually creating uh, iframes and working with publishers. Uh, so uh, like Lonely Planet and, and back in the day, those Let's Go travel guides and and quite a few others uh, where we put like a, an iframe on their side and, and then we uh, shared the revenue uh, in terms of clicks. Um, and so that worked really well. Uh, the problem was there was just no way to, to work out attribution. So the tour operators had no idea was the, the click valuable or not. Um, and it was, it was extremely hard to, to basically work out. Um, and so we then, uh, as we created Tour Radar and we started to build out the model a bit more, um, we went to partners and we thought, oh, you know, if we can work with some of the big OTAs and, and provide uh, a tours tab and, and things like that. Yes, in theory, it all sounds nice, but the, at the end of the day, a multi-day tour, which is typically around 12 to 14 days long, is kind of the uh, wrong way around booking things. So, that that works in, in terms of how an OTA typically works, where you book the flight, then you book the hotel, then you book the car hire and everything else around it. Where With a multi-day trip, think of Tanzania and Kilimanjaro. You're not going to book a flight and then book your Kilimanjaro trek. You want to make sure that that trek is available, that's the one you want. And once you've booked that, you then book the flight So afterwards. So, it, it never fitted into the, the customer journey uh, that really is, is how the OTAs work. Um, and so, um, we tried and we really pitched it and we gave it our all and just didn't see any success. And, and we always were at the mercy of these big companies uh, or even smaller ones to integrate. And you, you know that priorities change within every company. And, and the first thing to go will be some sort of speculative uh, offering like the one that we were offering. And so, you, you typically got, well, ah, oh, look, you know, after three or four months of trying to integrate, they just send an email and say, look, sorry, priorities have changed. We, we can't do this anymore. Um, and so you, you weren't in charge of your own destiny. Uh, and then that's when we decided, okay, let's uh, take take control of that destiny and go to the B2C route uh, where we were very good at SEO uh, and uh, obviously working out how can we
0: then uh, grow out the business uh, through other channels like email and paid search and everything like that as well. So why not focus? Well, so maybe this is a distinction that I'm missing here. Uh, with B2C, do you mean direct travel agents too and just not through Expedia? Or is it... Um or do you mean direct to the literally? Sorry. Yeah. Track? Direct
2: uh, to consumer. Uh, so, so you as a consumer booking it uh, with the uh, tour operator. No.
0: So then yeah, I guess the, the question is why not focus on those travel agents that do 90% of the bookings or uh, when you say 90% of the bookings, I guess I'm, I'm wondering if you mean online travel agents, physical uh, in-person, you know, travel agents, traditional travel agents, uh, assuming you mean traditional travel agents. Uh, have you, yeah. Have you, Focused at all on uh, on them. Uh, I guess that's yeah
2: yeah and and it is and we definitely had conversations with them but it, by the agents I mean uh, a traditional like if you think of flight center if you think of STA travel trail finders those type of guys um, even the home-based travel networks uh, that are in the US um, and and we tried to, to partner with some of them and and the problem was it just every single agency network or, or uh, franchise or whatever it was had different uh, expectations and different things that they wanted um, and they either wanted it to be customized they either wanted it to be all branded their own uh, and it, it really wasn't an easy solution to go down and and so again uh, we felt we were kind of being more of a, uh, a software developer and having to customize every single integration rather than actually just building one platform that we then push out to a global audience and then build and make better and better just through you know uh, learning from what our customers want and like and and, and actually making everything uh, a better user experience for, for them
0: if I could venture a guess, it sounds like your, your product was unique enough. There weren't enough people doing it and the margins were potentially high enough as you're, you're talking about you know, tours for 14 days. It could be five to $10,000 or something that you could actually get away with the direct-to-consumer. I think a, a you know, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think a, a theme of uh, this podcast so far is um, when we find a direct-to-consumer company that's been able to make it work and play the game of uh, paying for AdWords versus booking in Expedia, they found kind of a hack. And is is that, you know, is the hack that simple? Is it is it that you've got uh, a really high uh, high ticket product that is rare and so you're able to make a B2C business work?
2: Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it's definitely one of the, the aspects and and it's also understanding the the, the consumer journey uh, and and I think that's the the key difference is that a um, a customer going to book like a weekend in Paris uh, where they book a flight uh, an activity and and hotel and everything is a very different customer who is booking a uh, a fourteen day you know, Inca Trail trek uh, from Australia uh, where they're booking it six to nine months out so uh, the the user journey is completely different and and that also then the the keyword set and and uh, yeah, the types of people you're targeting uh, is very different. And, and that's where things like email uh, comes into into play because you, you've got a, um, a, a detailed customer journey that's got to be played out over a, a long period of time. It's not just a click and book in the same session. Uh, you've got to kind of warm them up as well and, and get them across the line.
1: It's interesting, Travis, on that. I mean, you, you said you've always been very strong in the area of SEO and you know, the consumer focused strategy. How would you describe that has changed over time by which i mean you know we've had the emergence of other players and indeed the search engine that we're talking about is kind of dipping its toes in the broader tours and activities sector not least mostly on attractions and things like that but how has the seo game i suppose is the, the the question i'm looking for how has that changed over time do you would you say
2: yeah it's definitely evolved i mean it, we've we've managed to stay uh, fairly well on top of it uh, by by having a you know pretty big focus on it over the years uh, but the the huge shift, obviously, uh, which is not any surprise, is, is the mobile side of things, uh, and just the uh, the screen space pretty much being filled up by uh, ads rather than actually uh, the organic results, uh, and that definitely uh, has an effect on things uh, for sure. And I mean, the the challenge uh, for for a high basket size uh, product product like ours, where it isn't a a, 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 cl- a search and then click and then book, uh, is how do you get someone from uh, Uh, like a really broad search term, like maybe like Europe travel or or something like that, uh, to then uh, getting down the line and actually booking a a $5,000 experience. Um, Yeah, it's like, it's obviously no mean feat. And I think that takes a lot of data and a lot of um, knowledge about the customer to be able to do that um, and to be able to then make the search side work.
1: And let's talk a little bit about, um, I mean, you've raised, I would say, in the the grand scheme of the things of the broader tourism activity sector a fair amount of money to mm-hmm. so talk to us travis a little bit about how you've approached fundraising you know in the context of being b2c and how you've kind of broadly pitched the idea to your to your investors
2: yeah it's it's been a uh, definitely uh, at each stage, uh, quite a different experience. Uh, so in the very early days, so back in uh, like 2012, uh, when we started to, to raise our, our first round, because uh, so before that, Sean and I were uh, basically sort of self-funding it and bootstrapping it uh, and then realized that we need, need money to make money and we needed people to help us. Uh, so uh, when we started to go out, uh, it was obviously... Um, Tours and activities, and and specifically multi-day tours, uh, as as most uh, people, there's a negative, you know, stigma and perception of them. It's basically that you're following an umbrella around a city, and you're being herded around, and there's no flexibility, and all the people who are on the tour are not good people, and you're not going to like them. So there's a lot of negativity around it, um, and and so there's that perception. When we were talking to investors, was well, this is a dying market. Who does these things anymore? Um, And so, it took quite a while and a lot of persistence uh, before and and I feel that it was the likes of of Get Your Guide and Viator and and those guys in the early early days who started to… put this spotlight a bit more on the, you know, activities sort of side of things and experiences side of things. Um, And so now it seems logical that, oh, this is a hot space and and this is a sexy space and everything like that. Um, But for the, you know, very, like the first five or six years, it just hasn't been that case. So pitching it to investors was very difficult to, to kind of break that perception um, and it wasn't until we, we had that you know, traction in terms of uh, bookings and customers and, and, and real revenue uh, that made it obviously a lot easier to, to start to raise uh, money and, and obviously uh, start to prove out that this was a viable thing that it could be built and, and that there was still a gap in the, the travel industry that no one felt was uh, possible these days because of the big players out there um so yeah
0: <laughs> so you said something really interesting there about you know a lot of investors thought it was a dying industry and uh, number one i think it's a relevant point for our listeners to make is and that I, i'm surprised at the number of startups that have built you know they built really really big companies off of uh stuff that um if you read TechCrunch you you think it was a dying industry but if you uh pay more close attention to the industry you realize it's actually you know growing or thriving or you know needs a huge upgrade but um what it reminded me of is actually we had a conversation with Paulina at Wanderoo, and she was talking about how um, the bus rider uh, was had become more and more millennial. You know, ten plus years ago, and they were I was redefining what it meant to ride a bus with a uh, emergence of megabus, etc. And I do think kind of what you you said about it being a dying industry. There is some truth to that, and that I don't know many friends who would uh, opt into a Contiki tour. Um but uh, I do see there there are kind of modern uh new equivalents kind of coming out to the market, and the one I can kind of think of actually is yacht Week. um and there's new kind of new ways of uh, people on a gathering uh, you know, on a tour basis uh, that it, it is engaging at the more millennial generation so i, I you know how do you think about um t- not just your tech company but I would say the wider tours act you know uh industry evolving from the Kentucky, or old people being escorted on and off in a bus, kind of stereotype, and how how is that being redefined? Yeah,
2: I think a, a lot's being done, uh, but also those particular operators you mentioned—they—they're uh, also redefining themselves uh, because they obviously know the the customer uh, is is changing and and what they want is is changing. So uh, I think if you look at a, a Contiki tour today as opposed to what it was maybe ten years ago, it's an extremely different experience. Uh, and you know they they are catering to a lot of the things uh, that uh, the the consumer is wanting. So I think, and that's the the generally across the industry is that operator, like tour operators have to uh, stay with the times if they want to survive. Uh, and you do see they, you know, having smaller groups or they're making more local experiences or local guides, that sort of thing. So they do have their finger on the pulse and they are changing, but for, for sure, one trend that we are seeing is just the smaller group size. Um, so uh, you get down to uh, 12, 15 people, uh, that's kind of a size is getting, you know, pretty popular uh, rather than the, uh, the 50 people on, on the bus. Uh, and even those 50 people, people on the bus there they're maybe reducing the number of people down to 40 instead of 50 so it's not as crammed and you got a bit of space as well Um, and so so yeah there's a lot of uh, reinvention happening uh, within older operators uh, who have been out there for a longer time Uh, but the new ones yeah like Yacht Week and and there's a a bunch of others in in Thailand and through Asia uh, who are creating these uh, experiences where you're traveling in a group but it feels like you're actually traveling, but you actually feel as though it's an independent experience Um, and trying to find that balance where people have flexibility and and time to, uh, you know, do things on their own and not feel chained to the group uh, and know that the, the people who are booking onto that trip are like-minded and that they actually will like, or really hang out uh, and get along with a fair chunk of people who are on that trip. Um, Whereas it?
0: That last part, actually, so it's funny, you said two things that I think are, a little, well, you said one freedom for them to do what they want. And then two, they'll actually be like mine. And actually, that was about to, what I was about to ask, which is, it seems like, you know, Yacht Week attracts a lot of people and gets them excited because they think, oh, well, there's a bunch of people exactly like me that are going to be on this it will be a social experience. And it's like a little frat party for a week. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I mean, that's that demographic. But um, it seems like community is a also a huge thing that some of these guys are are emphasizing um yep. and you know I just yeah i mean would you say that's accurate
2: massively yeah i think that's what people don't realize is that you typically will make one or two lifelong friends on that tr- on a trip you like a tour you do um so again you're not going to like love the whole group and stay in touch with everyone uh but most people will stay in touch and then they'll travel and do other tours with them in the future um, and so that community aspect is a huge aspect that people don't really fully understand yet and i think that's a huge opportunity to try and uh, for us to educate the market and 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 you know elevate the category so to speak uh, that uh, the other way i like to put it is if you're going to climb kilimanjaro uh, you you basically the itinerary uh, is going to filter out people who don't want to do that trip uh, so the the people who will do that trip have looked at the itinerary they've understood what it's about and if they've booked it there's a pretty good chance that they're going to have some similar interests to you. Uh, and that goes for, you know, obviously many itineraries around the world. So so that's something that uh, a lot of people don't really realize as well.
0: I love that. I actually uh, saw uh, Cadbury chocolate. <laughs> uh, their, uh, they Normally their wrappers their have a, their logo, obviously, and then a pouring milk uh, uh, kind of icon. And there's actually a, uh, recently they had um, a campaign where it was just the pouring milk icon and it was just... Um, it, it was literally, um, it's some text on the bottom left and it said that this, uh, this bear wrapper uh, is because 225,000 seniors do not speak to anyone for an entire <laughs> weekend. and it's all talking about loneliness, et cetera. And I, I've always, okay. I think, you know, there's a lot of kind of PR uh, in the travel industry. I'm like, you know, bringing the world together, blah, blah, blah. And I think a lot of it kind of is PR, but it's inter- uh, because like you said, my was just book flights and hotels and they don't speak to anyone. But it's interesting to hear kind of, you know, um, maybe, maybe your company really does will solve human loneliness, Travis.
2: <laughs> yeah, possibly. But uh, it's actually a point. Like, I, I went to a hostel uh, fairly recently, and I, I, so a friend used to work in a hostel bar, and it used to be such a social experience. Everyone going to the bar and meeting and chatting, and, and I walked in fairly recently everyone's on their phones they're all sitting there separately uh basically chatting so this whole idea of you go to a hostel and then you meet all these new friends which is the the whole independent you know backpacker style of doing things is very different today than it was say 10 to 15 years ago uh, because of devices and i think that's the benefit of a group is that you meet each other you have to break the ice you get to know each other and then you start to work out who do you like and who do you maybe you know don't need to
0: spend time with so it, it definitely is a way to to bring people together yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. I definitely have a lot of friends at hostels myself, and it's a shame. Yeah. I don't know if it's just because I'm 31 now and uh, people don't talk to me. I think a few times I stay at them, but they're, <laughs> I don't feel like they're not at a social either, but sorry, Kevin, go on.
1: You, you, you should be 46, David, and then it yeah. gets really bad, I can assure you. <laughs> and, and as someone who interrailed uh, three times throughout Europe in the 1990s, I know exactly what you're coming from in terms of that, you know, the, the hostel or hostel, as you would say, being the, the, the community aspect and so I kind of want to move on a little bit Travis I mean I think you know we, we talked about the hot sector in inverted commas at the beginning in the introduction you know and we've seen we kind of referenced a little while ago you know what Google is doing uh, at the broader kind of attractions level but you know it would be safe to say that the kind of the, the mega OTAs have really started to kind of think about your sector or the sector broadly what do you What do you say when you see something like when you see a brand like booking.com kind of wading in? And again, they are doing the attractions element at this stage. But, you know, it's not a huge leap for them to start doing tours and indeed multi-day tours at some point. What does that mean for you as the CEO of a company if people in the team are? indeed perhaps nervous then well how do you two it's a two-part question i mean one is what is your opinion on them kind of entering the sector and two how do you kind of as the ceo as i said kind of reassure the team that you're you know you're on the right path and they shouldn't worry
2: yeah i mean it, i think it's an inevitable uh, I, I feel we've been pretty uh, if you want to call it lucky uh, we've been playing in a space uh, on our own for a, a fairly long time yeah and uh, it was bound to happen at some stage, so I think it 's validation that uh, this is a space and and uh, back to sort of six, seven years ago, the investors saying this is you know a dying market is obviously uh, being proven wrong now by by seeing uh, the interest in this space um, we we typically don 't like to, to get too hung up by uh, c- competitors. like So I think if you're looking sideways and backwards uh, too much, uh, you obviously lose sight of where you want to go and, and yeah. what your vision is. Um, and so I've never really kind of looked, and maybe it's because we've never had a, a true massive competitor come in, but, um, and of course we keep our eye on things. Uh, and we definitely, and the team, as you say, uh, they, they do read, uh, you know, Focus Twire and they do read uh, all the other kind of publications that mention uh, Uh, the travel industry and tours, what's happening. Um, So, I, I actually welcome it in one way, because I also think this isn't a, uh, you know, winner take all it it like, there's no way that one player can completely own this entire market globally. Um, so I I feel that, uh, you know, there might be, uh, someone who comes in and and does uh, something quite well, uh, and maybe we are better at something else. Um, so I I think we have to just wait and see and and see who does come into it. How well do they actually adapt and, and, uh, you know, come into this space, Uh, but for sure, we've we've kind of paved a bit of a way and shown that it can be done, uh, and that's obviously a bit of a worry, you know, first mover, and and uh, but we we feel that if we can. Um keep got it moving and, and, and uh, uh, proving that this can be grown and we start to, to grow the market just because right now we're just in the English-speaking markets and obviously over time we want to start going into other markets. Uh, so uh, trying to continue to grow and, and uh, make this a true global platform. That it, obviously, we just keep uh, focused on that uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens over time.
1: Just, uh, just on that though, I mean, they you've done a strategy that's based, I would imagine, on, as you said, SEO, but I would imagine done fairly cheaply, as it were, In that you're not spending a lot of money on digital marketing, whereas some of your potential competitors, if we can call that, have been known to spend $6 billion a year on marketing, not obviously not on tours and activities. That would, be, that would be quite extraordinary, but um, yep. especially, on, uh, uh, especially on things like hotels. I mean, that could fundamentally alter your entire strategy, couldn't it, if they have the ability to, you know, frankly, outspend you.
2: Absolutely, yeah, and and I think that all comes down to how quickly do the players roll stuff out, and and I, I do see uh, it. As with any business, things are about focus. Uh, and uh, I feel uh, there's a lot of competition uh, happening in certain areas like hotels and, I mean, obviously with all the stuff happening with booking right now, they've got a lot of uh, things they're trying to, to sort out. Um, so going into to all these other verticals or other things is a challenge. Like, you know, to do them well. Like you can do them and, yes, they have the size, but to really go deep uh, requires focus. And, and it's their belief that uh, this is truly a big enough uh, uh, thing to to move the needle for them it, it's yet to be decided really um and so yeah i mean i think it's going to take uh, a good 18 months to two years for uh, the bigger players to really start to have any inroads into this space if they do um and i mean i think you also have to look at like airbnb with uh, what they did with the experiences did that fundamentally uh, affect get your guide or Clue? I don't think so, you know, and they've pushed that a lot and, and probably it's doing well, but I I don't know if it really hurt those other two players, you know, and stop them from raising huge amounts of capital and continue to grow pretty crazily.
1: Okay. Okay, So uh, one final one from me, and then I think we're going to wrap up. And when we were in our virtual green room, if I can call it that Travis, before we, uh, before we went on there, you used a great phrase and that was war stories. Um, Think of any war stories or, or, or incidents over those or over decade plus now that are you know, useful for our startup listeners and how you've kind of overcome something that was really problematic. Um,
2: yeah, I think the the one of the war stories was that uh, that decision to to go from. Uh, B to B to B to C, actually, uh, so that which we talked about, and and we uh, the very first leadership team offsite we did, uh, I think was in 2015, where this was the outcome that we came out from, uh, and we yeah you because know, we were trying for years and years to make this work, and and I think it was just a, a we tried everything. Uh, and then it was like okay no what's the way we can take control and 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 have the destiny in our hands as i mentioned before uh and and that was a um a pretty big decision in the, at that time to make and say okay no we're going to forget all this other opportunity like david sort of said that 90 percent uh or you know more of the market we gonna say no we're not going to go for that uh we're going to go and try to bring this market uh online uh and focus on the consumer uh that was a uh, a very you know not not tough call, but it was just one that took a lot of uh, a lot of pain to get to because there was a lot of uh, going to Focus Ride and meeting a lot of different players, and then realizing that okay, this isn't the the future uh, of of where we should go in, the, in the, uh, for the company.
1: Okay, uh, on behalf of our sister company, we we always liked your continual
0: attendance at our. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> David? Yeah, well, um, I think that's all from us. Uh, you know, thanks, Travis. That was wonderful. Um, you know, just wrapping up. This has been another "How I Got Here" stories of innovation and in travel and transportation. Uh, we're releasing these weekly. Uh, you can access them on FocusWire.com and mozio.com slash move And thanks again, Travis. Thanks so much. It was great. Thanks for listening to the "How I Got Here" podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages and get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week.